Hello everybody, I'm Andrew Colby and today I am with Rhys Finley. Hello Rhys. Hello, thank you for having me, it's an absolute honour. Tell me a little bit about yourself then. Um, so I'm Rhys Finley, I'm an illustrator, a writer and comedian in that order. Um, lived in Coventry all my life. Um, I got started in comic books in 2015 after kind of getting disenfranchised with the world of working in personal loans. As you can imagine the moral impact of that, I was just like, you know what? I quit, I'm going to make comic books. And from there I, I rose up and continued to grow and 11 plus comics, free graphic novels, and then I've been lucky enough to do official artwork for stuff like Star Wars, Stranger Things, The Walking Dead, so many great TV and movie franchises that you know I was obsessed with as a kid. So you know it's kind of a dream come true. And then to have a late diagnosis of autism about a year and a half ago now, you know, it kind of, it felt right to then merge those two things and do a graphic novel about autism, which is reaffirmation, coming to terms with an autism diagnosis, which you've read, which is... Indeed I have, yes. This is the first interview I've done where someone's actually read the book, so we can hopefully get into the meat and potatoes of it, which will be really exciting. Well, it's just certainly hope so. Uh, first of all then, uh, how do you define autism? Well, me personally, well, this is the thing, autism is such a broad term and you know the infinite variables of symptoms can affect everyone so differently you could put a hundred of us in a room and we'd all be completely different <laughs> so for me it's I see it as a disability it's a neurological condition that's obviously been with me all my life or you know since when I got my vaccines if you believe that <laughs> which is definitely not true but yeah it's it's a blessing and a curse really you know the difficulties I have socialising, understanding social cues, you know, sensory overload in places, you know, I've got my shades with me today just in case it ever got too much. And, you know, it's it's tricky and completely disabling in that way, but also, you know, the ability to focus in on details, you know, the special interests they call it, the ability to, you know, really focus in on something and be brilliant at that. You know, I, I hold that responsible for, you know, everything successful that's happened in my life, especially in recent months. You know, not only the book, I've had the opportunity to work with Act for Autism, which is an organisation um, that make a lot of films about autism, trying to bust some of the myths. And they're now working on a, it's in collaboration with the council to make an online training hub, which will make all employees be properly educated on autism and autistic people when they go into that job. So hopefully this will be the first step to creating a better workplace environment for autistic adults because 16% of autistic adults are in any sort of employment. I don't know how accurate those stats are because especially because there's so many undiagnosed autistics out there that that number is terrifying. It's very low. You know, again, I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, it, it shouldn't be that way. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of integration, not segregation. So it's, it's about opening up society to accept and acknowledge autistic people and I'm a huge fan of a reasonable part of reasonable adjustment. So it's about making life and environments as great as they can be. I mean, do we, I think capitalism's at the point now where we don't need supermarkets to have loud music and bright lights. <laughs> so it's about just making the world a little bit more manageable for everyone. And I mean, disability rights on the whole, they're not really affecting, you know, your quote-unquote normal person. For example, disabled ramps. We could all use a disabled ramp. <laughs> so it's... You know, I think a lot of the pushback to certain disability rights movements is quite strange and jarring. I just can't comprehend that. 
Amazing, amazing. Tell me about your journey from being referred through to diagnosis uh, and in adult autism then. Yeah, so the referral came about in the midst of a, let's soften this up for a lovely <laughs> evening audience. Um, it was a, quite an extreme mental health crisis. And during that, it was my mother who suggested that I might be on the autistic spectrum to the GP. And he put in a referral. And a, f- a few weeks later, I was then hospitalised as that mental health situation escalated. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a year wait for the autism diagnosis. So that's a long time to be left alone with your thoughts to, you know, okay, everything you thought you knew, that's wrong. You've got to, one, understand what autism is, two, understand how it's manifested in you, offer acceptance and acknowledgement of you know, life going forward. And I, I think I did a pretty good job of that. I, I read up a lot of articles and, you know, the internet level. So it's probably Wikipedia entries. I could have gone deeper, but I felt going into that diagnosis, I had a pretty good grasp on what it was going to be. I was quite confident, okay, I'm going to get diagnosed as autistic and that's fine. I'm still the me I've always been. This piece of paper's not going to change anything. But then when I got the piece of paper, when I got the diagnosis, it hit me really hard. And that's... It was strange. It was like suddenly all my thoughts and opinions were then worthless because they were tainted by this condition. And it was. It took a long time to come to terms with that diagnosis. And I think that's probably what where the seeds of the book that I wrote then started to be sown. The origins of the book weren't as noble as they may seem. It was. <laughs> it started to impress a girl. She had dinosaur tattoos. So I was like, hey, being autistic means I'm just like you, except I can name all the dinosaurs. And I drew like a little picture of me as Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park with his shirt open <laughs> strewn across with loads of dinosaurs and that was the first bit of artwork I did I was like hmm I could probably do some more little comics and be funny with it I mean okay yes it's a serious condition and there's certain aspects of that that I just would not laugh at but if I if I turn it in on me and say hey here's the funny situation that happened to me I see that as less offensive because we're laughing with autism rather than laughing at autism yeah, it's a stark difference between the two. That's very, very interesting because I mean, one of the things that comes out in the book was that you'd already researched what autism is, and then when you actually had your diagnosis, everything changed. Yeah, so I guess that was on an emotional it was level. Quite weird. Must yeah. have been. Must have been a terrible feeling as well. Yeah, it was um, a complete, almost regression. You know, I can't imagine being in normal workplaces and stuff now. I just could not see that as an actual possibility. I wouldn't last an hour in there. So, and, but then it's like, okay. But then in your head, you're trying to work out. But a few years back, I did that absolutely fine. I was able to lead a quote-unquote normal life or, you know, a neurotypical existence. Neurotypical being the word for someone without a neurological condition. But I, I would be in the, the neurodiverse camp, neurodiversity being, you know, autism, ADHD, OCDs, Tourette's countless neurological conditions and then all the crossovers that can happen within that um and yeah it's about trying to work out who i am and it's it's interesting i think i'm in a period of reinvention even right now kind of leaning into it a bit more there's autistic traits and stuff where i'm a lot less repressing of no repressing is that word but (laughs) i'm less willing to compromise my own safety and security just for the sake of fitting in or blending in I'm happy to kind of let that autistic flag fly a little bit more. And obviously, you know, the way I do it in the career that I now have as, you know, a writer, a speaker, 
you know, I'm, I'm about to do a stand-up comedy show at the end of a month about <laughs> all the autism and stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've embraced it. I've played the cards I've been dealt. You know, I could let the disability aspect of this just consume me, or I could accept that as a, you know, something I'm going to have to deal with just so I can have those moments of brilliance. And it's, it's tricky to find that balance because I think my moments of disability do still outweigh those moments of brilliance. But when I do shine, I shine so bright. It's, I think it's important to celebrate that and acknowledge that and keep working to be more than more than myself. I don't want to say more than the disability because I'm not entirely comfortable with that, you know, don't let your disability define you because it's, okay, on one hand it does, it doesn't define me, you know, it's got nothing to do with me drawing for Star Wars except for maybe, you know, the special interest part of it, but also autism being a neurological condition, it's going to have an impact on all of my thoughts, actions, intentions, philosophies. And so, you know, in a way it does define me, but also it doesn't define me. And it's about embracing the hypocrisy of that, if that makes sense. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's, not, it's been not making sense, but makes sense. Well, when you were younger, was there a case that you ever felt that there was something different about you then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it turned out I was actually tested as a kid, but um, right. um, the, the term they use is masking. So, you know, you're repressing autistic tendencies to come across as normal. I think because I didn't know or understand or comprehend the situation at the time, I was, you know, I was giving them the answers I thought they wanted to hear rather than any sort of honest depiction of me. And, you know, I was what? seven or eight years old I probably didn't know who I was at the time so it's I could understand why I flew under the radar but then I also remember being in you know they called them gifted and talented classes and you know you do paintings of pasta and macaroni and I remember that being quite frustrating and I hope that's not the case for I hope that doesn't exist anymore I mean you know if okay maybe I did struggle in certain subjects but I also excelled at other ones so it's to then condemn me or a child like me to you know go, go sit in the corner while the other people learn. I think that's really damaging, and I think it's important to, you know, especially in education, healthcare as well, to be bespoke and, you know, what's best for the individual rather than the masses, which I guess is where it gets difficult with autism because it's so unique and bespoke to everyone. You know, your brilliant opening question, how do you define autism? Wait, we haven't asked that yet. Have we? <laughs> but we're about to. <laughs> no, we, we actually have asked, asked the question. It's just a case of you 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 are... Uh, it's, it's celebrating life, isn't it? And, and you're trying to celebrate life at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. But I think if you asked that question to however many autistic people you're going to, you would get a completely different answer each mm. time. And I think that's yeah. fascinating. It's so individual and unique to the person. I think what's so uh, interesting as well, we're going to talk a lot about um, Reaffirmation, which is your book, uh, very shortly. But there's so many graphic illustrations. So the fact that you, you, you've got your comedy and you've got your Star, Star Wars, as you were saying, is it all your own handwork? Your, your pictures as well? Absolutely. I mean, this, this book, Reaffirmation, it's, it's all of that combined. It's the whole. Yeah. It's the life essence of recently. That sounded so cheesy, but I'm staying with it. <laughs> you know, the, the comedy ties into it greatly. You know, I, I grew up on, you know, The Young Ones and Red Dwarf and all that. Mm kind of the alternative comedy and I really like I think it was Alexi Sale who said you know traditional comics are horrible people pretending to be nice and alternative comics are nice people pretending to be horrible <laughs> and I really get on board with that so it's this kind of bitter edge to my comedy and the the timing of it all and the, the self-deprecation and stuff so there's you know I think my favourite comic strip of that is you know we're on a date and this you know the, the lady in the date to a fictional character is like okay we've, we've we've been dating for a few weeks now and I really don't know anything about you <laughs> the comic I just opened my shirt and all this evil just spews out all the dirty secrets and the <laughs> autism and, the, and 
yeah, it's and you know that's one spreading awareness of you know how difficult it is to you disclose. You take me back with my memories of these gremlins <laughs> and the film this way. <laughs> I'm just graphically considering what's going on at the moment. But oh, you know, okay. I think you know stuff like that. The humour isn't such a valuable tool to actually spread the message. So yeah, we're having a little laugh at some of the little comic strips or the little funny adventures I've had. But at the same time, you're also picking up from that. Okay, it is really difficult to disclose mm. autism to someone, be it you know a potential partner or an employer or just someone you're in casual conversation you've actually, you've actually mentioned the word gift there I'm saying it's an absolute gift that you've got the ability through graphic illustration to be able to say this not just in words but also in graphic instruction I think it's brilliant yeah absolutely I think that's that was the unique selling point as well that made it yeah. important you know it's tricky you know this I, I really wanted a book like that when I was struggling to come to terms with the diagnosis there's nothing out there if you go into Waterstones or your high street book. Other, other books, retailers are available. <laughs> um, and, you know, 80% of that autism shelf, it's for kids and for parents with kids, yeah. which, you know, brilliant, great for them. But where's the adult stuff? You know, you'll often find Noro Tribes, which is a great book, but very wordy. Um, there's one book about coming to terms with an adult diagnosis, but it's formatted as a guide. And as, as we spoke about before we began recording, formatting something as a guide where, you know, as we said, it affects everyone so differently. You know, a guide on a good day would be a bit pointless because it's not going to apply. Like half of that information is not going to apply to the person reading it. But on a bad day, if that person was to read it, you know, treat it as gospel and, you know, follow it to the letter that could be incredibly dangerous and mm. I'm, I'm fearful of what that could do to someone. So I like the idea of doing it from a first-person perspective. There's a lot of memoirs out there, you know, and such a great variety of them as well, which is great. So, you know, just because there's two memoirs about autism out there, they're, they're so completely different. There's room for both, which is great. But yeah, then, as you said, the, the ability to then do the illustrations in the comic books, I can't think of any other example that's done that. And I can't, you know, just in terms of comics on the whole, I can't think of too many hybrids of both novel and comic. So that's, again, another, you know, a great chance to find that USP and get it out there to a mass audience. Because I, I come from a background of small press comics. And, you know, you, you know, you'd put your comic together all by yourself, you'd pay for the printing, you'd take it to Comic-Con and you'd sell a couple. But it's not a mass audience. You know, you could count on your hand how many comics you've sold in the year whereas with this book it's been so overwhelming I can count on one hand how many days it hasn't sold at least one copy and it's it's strange does this mean I finally made it or well <laughs> I guess so but yeah so you know it's I agree you know I've been incredibly gifted and blessed to have the career trajectory I've had and then to be able to tie it into the autism and not only make a career for myself but hopefully you know it's had some sort of positive impact on people who've come up the same way I have you know people shouldn't have to you know they shouldn't have to be found on their bathroom floor by their mother before they get the referral they shouldn't have to wait so long just in complete isolation they shouldn't have to then be promised post-diagnosis support only to not see any arrive so it's you know I, I would sacrifice any of the attention or you know the money or you know, if, if money ever comes <laughs> I'd give this all up in a heartbeat if one person wouldn't have to walk the path that I did. I think that's the, the important thing. <laughs> I'm sort of going to change tack now because you've mentioned one person. There's one person that stands out in that book for me. And it's your niece. Yes. Now, um, I've got to say, it's wonderful. Um, the chemistry between yourselves. Now, I think it's what well, your, your sister had Isla June. Yes. And then... Um, she finished maternity leave, and didn't she uh, offer you the chance to, to sort of look after her? Yeah, so um, obviously during all the mental health crisis and stuff, 
I, th- I think it's amazing because you, at that time, were, were struggling yourself with your own um, personal health, your personal issues as well. So to have that chemistry as well. So how, how is Isla June so special to you then? Um, well, obviously she was she was six months old when all the mental health stuff was happening. So yeah, I think the, the innocence of the baby and you know just seeing that kind of it's the responsibility aspect, I guess. You know, you, there's something about a baby and you know someone so close to you that you want to see them thrive and do well and have the best life they possibly could. And I think you know during my darkest hours, you know that's what would keep me going. And you know from an autism perspective, autism can be incredibly alienating and you know like with any neurological condition or disability you can find yourself just getting slowly pushed further away from a human race and to have a tether like Isla to bring you back to whatever normality is you know having that responsibility of you know feeding and taking care of a baby it's so important and something to cherish and hold on to there's, there's something nice and special about the normalness of it all I sort of got from the section as well that what's so nice about it is that the, the, the child is never judgmental. Yeah. And I think that, I suppose, there's a special link that comes with it because it's a child that, that you're taking care of. Yeah, I think we could all learn something from Halogen in that yeah. regard. It's, you know, with, with any quote-unquote label that someone might have, there also comes a prejudgment. So, you, you, you know, you can make your mind up about someone without knowing a single thing about them except for that label, and that's incredibly dangerous and damaging. Baby, don't care. <laughs> Mm. Are you funny? <laughs> are you going to feed me? Are you going to play with toys with me? Mm. You know, it's, there's, there's something nice about the simplicity and open-mindedness of that in terms of, you know, hum, humanity and society, especially the, the advent of social media and stuff, and we all get a bit more. Mm. I think humans are tribal by nature, but then when that tribalism becomes aggressive or closed off, that's when it gets dangerous, and we need a little bit more open-heartedness in that regard. I think it's just lovely. I think it's lovely. Should we go in about the, the publication of the book uh, Reaffirmation now? So when was it published to begin with? Um, so this is the first time I've ever pitched a book to a proper publisher. Yeah. And they were very interested. You know, I, I made a very strong case like I did to you just then, you know, that if you look out there, there's nothing like this. But if you also then go look, look on autism on Twitter or look in the forums and stuff, there's a clear demand for it. Mm. You know, people need not only stuff for late diagnosed adults but something a little bit more entertaining you know there's hugely serious points but it's also quite funny and light-hearted in places so you know i think if i continued that trajectory with the proper publisher you know maybe the book would have came out late summer this year so unfortunately that didn't happen i've i took a different path because they while they were happy with the book and everything they weren't happy with me as an individual I was kind of on the back seat of social media and stuff. I didn't have a, a presence. I wasn't famous or well-known to a point where I could go out and sell a product. So it was a case of, okay, if we're going to do this, go out there, meet your audience, get involved with these communities. So, you know, I joined Autism on Twitter and all the Facebook groups and, you know, the Instagram hashtags. And I went from like a thousand Twitter followers and today we're on seven and a half thousand. Is it really? Yeah. How high is that? <laughs> Terrifying. It's, um, no, it's wonderful, though. Now, you, you should view that as being absolutely fantastic that you're getting your message across. Now, the book itself is an adult approach to adult uh, autism because a lot of people that you tend to associate who have autism tend to be children, and it's not done from a child's... It's done from a child's perspective because it's done from the parent's side of the matter, yeah. whereas in your case, you've... you've had your diagnosis 
as an adult. So you're looking at it from an adult perspective, talking to people who might have to come to terms with that. It's just very, very inspiring. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's not a major myth, but there's, there's a, a slight myth in people that you know there's no such thing as an adult. It's you know it's a childhood condition. Hmm. But what what happens? <laughs> what happens when they turn eighteen? Exactly. Where do they go? Exactly. They don't ascend to Valhalla. They're here, and you know they need some people. You know, some of them are then you know because of it, they've had good support as a child. Maybe they do just go off and you know integrate in society perfectly. But what about the ones who don't? And I think this is the problem with autism. It's the current societal view, the current, you know, official view is actually quite narrow-minded. And I think it's important to then remind people that we're not all children. We're not all white males. You know, there's so many autistic females, you know, people of colour, members of the LGBTQ+. And I don't know, it's... How do you you then break down a myth to show, you know, autism doesn't discriminate by colour or race or creed or gender or religion. It's... It's just a neurological condition. You know, it's a, it's a different way of seeing the world. I really like the metaphor that, you know, if a neurotypical person was a Windows computer, we'd be an Apple Mac. Or, you know, in my case, like a one of those weird custom setups that only runs Sega Mega Drive games. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's... A lot of myth-busting is important. I think that's kind of that's kind of the brand I've, I've been putting forward. So, you know, the, the catchphrase of all my products was, you know, in a world of autism myths, be an autism legend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also you know, the live show that's happening on the 20th of March at the Ego Performance Company in the town centre. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's half book launch, kind of half stand-up show. And it's, you know, we're going to bust down a lot of autism myths. and <laughs> they're, they're actually quite... Uh quite uh, local favourites around here I've been to a number of productions at the Ego yeah I mean I'm so great people I'm so happy you know they were my first choice of theatre there's a few theatres in the town but Ego is it's famed for its disability access Mm. and you know if we were going to make something about autism we have to make it autism friendly as well you know if it's (laughs) if it's about autistics it has to be for autistics as well so it's you know in terms of accommodations and stuff that is the best venue for it so hopefully it's going to be a perfect night and of course, there are so many other projects that you're already involved with within the Autism Links. So if you can tell me anything yeah, about those. I mean, this this all came on the back of the book. I think that opened so many important doors for me. And I think the Star Wars and stuff helped as well. I think that, mm. can, that gives you a little bit of a, a namesake and a bit of credibility around. Um, but yeah, I, it, I think it all stemmed from 14 months after the diagnosis. I finally got my post-diagnosis support with the adult neurovote. Adult neurodevelopment. <laughs> it's a word I can't say. De- de- developmental. Developmental. Oh, wow. <laughs> we got there. The adult neurodevelopmental team. Um, they were. Off, they finally started offering post-diagnosis support sessions. So I've been attending them. Um, they're absolutely brilliant. I think if I had them 14 months ago, it would have been incredible. Um, bit of a busman's holiday for me now, but. You know, it's important that these support networks are there. And as someone who's starting to kind of dedicate their career path to better post-diagnosis support and better, you know, workplace environments for adults, that was, you know, the first step. And through there, they've then recommended me to some of their peers and contacts. So um, the first one's Act for Autism. They're an organization who do a lot of, you know, video content and just kind of spreading the word of, you know... this probably isn't their official mandate, but you know, autistic people are autistic people. No, autistic people are people too, mm-hmm. and um, that's so good. And you know, be, busting the myths and showing the human element of it, which is often so overlooked in so much media and you know, official documentation and stuff. 
Um, and yeah, they were working in collaboration with councils to make an online training hub. So, you know, everyone in that council will then get trained in autism and, you know, hopefully that awareness and acknowledgement will then create a better workplace for autistic adults. And so that's an absolute dream come true in order to have worked with them. Um, I think the video content will probably be up later in the year. Um, I think I'm about to be a guinea pig for someone at Cov Uni who's doing a paper on um, the connection between autistic people and suicide. Um, so I'll be interested to see where that goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important to acknowledge there's so much going on out there as well, I think. Especially in the darker depths of social media and stuff, there's this assertion that there is no support for adults, that we are on our own, that we're, there's no hope, we're, we're done, we're, we're done for, it's just us stick with us guys and it becomes quite a close-knit community and then that segregation then separates us from a human race which is again is terrifying for someone who wants integration so yeah it's important to acknowledge that these supports are there you know um, there's another local company as well called Shires Autism and they do bespoke one-to-one support and I think that's been so helpful for me as well because I think either I need really personalized support because a lot of my stresses come from you know work stuff or social media stuff so it's important to have a platform in which I can then talk about that uniquely and yeah it's it's great to see it's all out there i mean nowhere near as out there as it should be but i think it's important to build on these foundations that exist to celebrate them and praise them like i've just done like i do on social media and then you know it's it's spreading that positivity like a virus and like a positive virus <laughs> and you know giving people hope you know i've i've been there i felt hopeless and you know i felt like you know any sort of thing that resembles <laughs> a nice livable life was gone and it's important to know that stuff is there you know we live in a society at the moment where dis- disabled people aren't treated as well as they should be but the aggression and vitriol around that isn't going to be the thing that solves it we need the positivity and the celebration of what's already there that you know the people inside the system that are working so hard whose hearts are in the right place and they're so motivated to make a difference we need to join them and finally make a difference i've got to say i've got a final question how proud are you of the book that's gone out in your name? Pride's an interesting word. I think I, I, I struggle a lot with self-esteem. You know, it's, it's definitely in the book. So any sort of ego, you know, I immediately try and punch out of myself. And that's a shame that I am so hard on myself. I won't let myself have a little bit of pride. Um, I let myself have a bit of pride on the act for autism. You know, I was really proud of that. But I think that's the fuel that keeps me going. You know, as, as I said, you know, I trail this in to change one life but if I you know I've, I've had emails and stuff saying you know this book has been so incredible it's been a game changer for me I don't think I've then accept that as the one life I wanted to change I'm like okay I had a bit of an impact on them that was nice but there'll always be there'll always be one more person or one more goal or motive so I'm always going to stay hungry I'm always going to stay unsatisfied yeah. I see that as a good thing hopefully We'll see. We'll, we'll just see where it takes me. I mean, you know, I've gone from sitting around drawing little pictures at my desk to, you know, being here today. Got the live show at the end of the month. Um, a TV appearance that I can't quite talk about properly, but that's going to be super exciting when that happens in a few months' time. A TV appearance. Yeah. We and I know that, that um, a national paper has already been in touch to talk so much with you about the book and about your life as well. Yeah, that was incredible. Um so I did a little interview with The Guardian over the phone. And I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be like on their blog bit of the website or whatever. Yeah. And then they went, no, we sent the photographer out. And we met down at Fargo Village at the comic shop. Okay. Perfect venue for photo shoots. Um, did this amazing shoot with a guy named Fabio. Um, I had to learn how to smile. <laughs> <laughs> Try telling an autistic person to smile on the spot and see what happens. 
Well, you've certainly got a fantastic smile for us today. Oh, I'm and in a good mood, man. A fantastic story as well. Reese, it's an absolute wonderful inspiration and thanks from me that you've been able to join me in the studio today how can people actually buy the book um so the book the best way to go is amazon just search for reaffirmation according to terms of an autism diagnosis but i think if you search reaffirmation it's the first thing you get um but then if you wanted to get the lovely first edition hardbacks you can come to the live show at the end of the month um where you know it's after the live show it'll be like a book sign in meet and greet sort of thing so you can get an actual signed book as well um yeah that'll be the best way to do it for right now reese thank you so much for being part of uh, this interview today no problem thank you for having me it's been an absolute honor